This is Inside Friartown with Providence College Athletic Director Bob Driscoll. Welcome to the Inside Friartown podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeMars, and I'm joined always by the Athletic Director for Providence College, Mr. Bob Driscoll. Bob, we're into December, but let's step back into November and let's talk about the run that the men's soccer team led by Craig Stewart made in the NCAA tournament. They hosted a game here against NJIT. They won that game. They went to Penn State, came from behind, being down two goals in the second half to win that game in overtime. Then they go down to Clemson, give up an early goal, they get one back, and then questionable call, and they end up losing the game. But what a run that team made. Yeah, I'm so proud of them. Uh, And the job Coach Stewart has done, um, you know, three weeks out from the final end of the season, we didn't even know if we are going to be in the NSA, and then they made a great run, and I thought we played great in the championship game. Had a couple of questionable calls down there as well, but that's part of the game, unfortunately. But the thing I love about Coach Stewart is he never uses that excuse. He never dwells on penalties and he just gets the guys to play hard all the time and you know we have a program now that at some point hopefully if we keep knocking on the door we'll we'll, we'll win a national championship but we're one of the elite programs in the country today when you brought Craig Sturdy in to be the head coach here in Friartown, how did you know he'd be such a great fit? Well, Mike, he was uh, an assistant coach under Shaka for four or five years. So I got to know him personally and was very impressed with him and it was one of the reasons why we had such success. And then he went back to his alma mater, uh, Franklin Pierce, and I think he was there for three or four years. And I think his record was like 95 and three. And I don't care if you're playing checkers, <laughs> you know, against your three-year-old son. <laughs> you, you win 95 games, you know he's pretty good. But what makes him really, really special, he had the courage to hire John Mark, who was also a finalist for the job. Uh, and so we actually got two head coaches um, in that decision. and But you don't you don't find great leaders that aren't willing to surround themselves with people that are as talented as as they are. And he had that. And, you know, the proof is in what he's done since he's been the head coach here. And speaking about a coach's season coming to an end, how long after a season do you wait to sit down with the coach and go over the season? Well, we kind of do it informally ongoing, but we have a formal um, review process that we do in the spring. I ask all of our coaches to do an audit on every part of their program as soon as the season is done so they can remember the things that they need to uh, improve on while it's fresh in their mind. But really, um, I don't believe in these evaluations where you wait the end of the year. I mean, they live in conversations almost on a weekly basis. As far as the goal setting for the next season, are those made towards the end of the season or are those made closer to the beginning of the next season? Well, you know, we do it formally towards the beginning of the next season, but they remain pretty consistent, particularly a sport like soccer that's fully funded and have all the facilities they need. You know, our goal is to win a Big East championship and compete in the NSA tournament and go as far as we can, make sure all of our student athletes graduate and just really recruit and grow young men and women that are going to treat people with dignity and respect. So that's that's pretty clear. And then during the offseason, is it still kind of a weekly conversation with the coach leading up to their season? Well, you know, on the sport programs that I that I oversee individually, yes, I meet with a week uh, weekly uh, standing meeting and probably talk to them almost every day. Guys like Nate and Ed and those folks, uh, Jim Crowley. Uh, but I have associate ads that manage those other sports programs, and they meet with them on a weekly basis as well. Coming up later in the show, I caught up with former Friar basketball player John Linehan. But first, I sat down with the head coach of the Friars women's basketball team, Jim Crowley. Our next guest is in his fourth season as the head coach of the Friars women's basketball team, including the Friars' first Big East tournament victory since 2001, and he led them to the WNIT round of 16. 
Our guest is Jim Crowley. Prior to coming to Friartown, you coached at St. Bonaventure and the A-10 Conference. What adjustments did you have to make in regards to recruiting and coaching in the Big East? Well, the, the first thing that, that we noticed right away was there was a, a higher level of athleticism at, at the time we got here in the league. So um, we felt the need that we had to, you know, get faster, quicker, stronger. Um, the other thing that, that we noticed is middle to better uh, teams in the A-10 had two or a third kid that were really dangerous. Uh, the Big East better middle teams had three to four kids that were dangerous. Now, your best teams had five, you know, so we had to to increase that. We had to find more kids that could score. We had to get more athletic. The first thing we focused, the first two things we focused on was, you know, people who were right for our culture, who could could handle the adversity and the difficulties that were coming. And the second thing we went after was to upgrade our athleticism, obviously keeping with our, our skill because we are, as much as we try to be athletic, we try to be a, a skill-based program as well. And when you're recruiting student athletes, what characteristics are you looking for? The first thing that's really important to us is, you know, what kind of teammate are they? Are, are they someone that, that would that we'd enjoy playing with? You know, I, I'm fortunate that my whole staff played for me. So uh, the, the one thing I give them is find someone you'd want to be your teammate. The next thing uh, that, that we really pay attention to is uh, ha- handling some difficulties. You know, what happens if maybe you don't play as much or you get some tough calls or you, you, you know, you can't hit the broad side of a barn in one game, you know, so try to, to see how those things try to see how competitive they are. And in the AU situation, as it is in July, they, they play a lot of games, you know, two or three games in a day. And, you know, are they moving on quick, which is good, but can you see a sense of competitiveness too? Um, you know, those are things that are core to, to what I do and, and core to what we want our program to stand for. So obviously, as we talked about, you're looking through the athleticism and the skill, um, but those qualities have to be part of it and, and have to be able to uh, handle all the, the challenges and different things that, that come, you know. In recruiting, everyone talks about all the great stuff, and and we're very fortunate here at Providence with all the incredible stuff we have. But it, it's a challenging year for freshmen. You have to go through a lot of stuff, and uh, you have to know that that's coming and be able to handle that. So that's that's a really important thing that we look for and talk about in our recruiting process. Describe the experience of being part of Late Night Madness at the Dunk this year. You know, I've been at this uh, since 1993 and been fortunate to be involved in a lot of really good scenarios, different environments, you know, big games, whatever it may be. That's one of the top two or three events I've been part of. Uh, and that includes, you know, the, the opportunity to coach in the Sweet 16 and for A-10 championships and different things like that. Just the energy that was there and and more importantly to me to see our kids be part of that, enjoy that and the comfort they felt in that environment um, you know, that was outstanding. I mean, the, the, the time that went into it and, and the reaction that our student body had and, and, the the, the real true Friar fans had for that event is something that our kids will never forget. I'll never forget. And we are all really, really thankful to be part of. Your team is pretty young this year, only one senior and four juniors. However, your sophomore class got a lot of experience last year. What expectations did you have for the team heading into the season? You know, we, we say that, yes, we're young, but we're not inexperienced. And those are, are two different things. Um, you know, we don't talk a lot about wins or losses. You know, our, our, our one ex- expectation is you get better. Um, then our other is that you play hard and that, that you enjoy playing with your teammates. And, and so we kind of keep our focus there that, you know, get better, play hard and, and continue to, to enjoy playing with your teammates. We're pretty specific with how we play and, and, and we really try to give our players detailed information of, 
how they were defended in the past year and how they can improve the things they need to improve within how we play. And, you know, we've been pleased so far. We, we've seen uh, people get better at what they need to get better at. Um, you know, they've been very involved in that partnership. And, and that's what it, it's all about. You know, we can give them all the great stuff or all the stuff we believe to be right. If, if they fight it, you know, that then we're, we could lose a year. Um, you know, we've had that happen, but, uh, for the most part, all of our returners, uh, our juniors, our sophomores all, uh, took into account what they needed to be better at, worked at it and, and, and so far have shown improvements in those areas. And coach, finally, the question everybody wants to know, is this the bill's year? <laughs> Certainly the question I want to know, um, it, you know, it, it's so much fun to be a fan, you know, when you're, when you're in it, um, you understand that. Uh, passion that, that comes with a fan, but to be a fan and, and I'm just really happy to, after 20 years of, of kind of wandering, um, it, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch a, a, a team that has a purpose, knows who they are, um, and, and clearly has leadership pointing them in the right direction with a good plan. So I don't think it's their year per se, uh, but I, I really enjoy watching them in the path they're on. Coach, thank you very much for taking the time and best of luck this season. Thank you. And thanks for asking about the Bills. That's tough out here. Welcome back to the Inside Friartown podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeMars. And of course, I'm joined by the Athletic Director for Providence College, Mr. Bob Driscoll. Bob, one of the big things in your career has been fundraising. Obviously, there's been a lot of fundraising that's occurred here at Providence College due to the fact that we have all these beautiful new facilities on campus. How far out do you plan for a new facility and what comes first, the planning of the facility or the fundraising being put in place? Well, Michael, you probably know we we have our uh, third five-year master plan or strategic plan um, that's going to lay out where we're going to go over the next five years as part of the college's uh, 10-year strategic plan. And the previous two resulted in over $150 million worth of brand new athletic facilities in addition to a $100 million renovation of the dunk. But it really was predicated upon what our vision was, most respected 100% graduation and compete for championships. And you've heard me talk about this in the past. If you want to recruit the best student athletes in the country, you have to have what I think are world-class facilities. And I think we have those. You know, there's a couple left that we need to complete. One is phase two of the Ruane Fryer Development Center, which would be the renovation of our women's basketball facility over there and an academic uh, support center as well with a beautiful roof that will connect Slavin Center to Alumni Hall. And then I'd also like to see a bubble, a bubble that will go up on one of our artificially surfaced fields for soccer and lacrosse and softball and, and track because in the winter times, you know what it's like here, it puts you at a distinct uh, disadvantage. So those are two facilities we'd like to um, to like to complete over the next uh, the next five years. And what fundraising events or strategies do you feel are the most impactful? Well, I think we've had great success in fundraising because it's relationship driven. Uh, Steve Napolillo, who heads that up, and, and Kevin Conley and Harold Starks and Jen Cunningham, all of them are relationship based people. You know, the trip we just took to California, we took sixty donors with us there, you know, went to Disneyland, had parties, had Thanksgiving together. And really you build relationships that um, hopefully will want them to invest in the college and the student athletes to get to be around our student athletes to see what kind of young men and women they are. So that's been very, very successful for us. Plus we have a lot of fun, right? We like to go out and um, drink a little wine, tell a few stories and hopefully win a, win a game or two, which actually adds to that whole sense of joy. 
And what do you enjoy the most about fundraising? I know you've mentioned relationship building so far is one of the key things in fundraising. I think two things. It's, it's, it's the people and the relationships. I mean, I've been here for 18 years now, and I have people who have donated a lot of money that are my close personal friends, and it doesn't become about asking for money anymore. They love the college so much, they, they ask us now. Um, how uh, how can I help? So, you know, having family members that are Friar fans that actually support us that's that's great. They become part of my my family. I like that, and I also like um, I like being at games with them at functions because it's like it's like it feels like you're going to a uh, you know a wedding a lot of times where you're going out to dinner, then you're going to the games, you win the game, and it's a lot of fun. So it's just a nice way to spend time with people that you care, and a lot of these people I actually love, you know. And what's one lesson or uh, something that you learn, either maybe about yourself or just athletics in general, or maybe just the people in Providence uh, that you learn through fundraising, through meeting all these wonderful people that help make the college what it is today? I think everybody, no matter how much wealth they have, want to be part of something bigger than themselves, right? They want to they invest in a purposeful entity and what better way to spend your money if you have some excess money to give to invest in the growth and development of young men and women that hopefully will go out and represent Providence College in a responsible way, but also help impact the world in a, in a positive way. So you can see the impact that your dollars give. And I think that makes people really happy. It's why I give back, um, because I know I'm I'm paying it forward, if you will. I, I got a college scholarship because somebody else donated the money to go. So now it's my responsibility to to provide the next young man or woman that opportunity. Coming up, Bob and I will discuss the upcoming holiday break. But first, I caught up with former Friar basketball player, John Linehan. Our next guest is a former Friars basketball player that led the Big East in steals for three seasons. His final two seasons, he was named to the All-Big East second team and the Big East Defensive Player of the Year. And he is still the NCAA Division I all-time leader in steals. Our guest is John Linehan. Mike, how are you? I think you left out one accolade, though. I usually never do this, but I was the National Defensive Player of the Year my senior year, too, so. Oh, that's my bad. That's my fault. <laughs> also, the National Defensive Player of the Year, Mr. John Linehan. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. No problem. No, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so, John, after leaving Providence, you played professionally for over a decade. Take us through that journey. Well, I was, you know, very fortunate to, uh, to have had the career that I've had you know, coming out of Chester, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, being five nine, and and you know, not many people thought I would, um, you know, play basketball, you know, at a, at the highest level, you know. So I was very fortunate in, in that case. But you know, when I left PC, you know, I had a shot with uh, with Utah Jazz and then the Clippers. I went to camp with both of those got with both of those teams, and then um, then I was in the uh, the NBDL in its second year of existence. Um, from there, I went to the CBA. Then I was a Harlem Globetrotter uh, for about seven or eight months. And then um, then I went to France for nine years and, you know, um, went to uh, Estonia for one, you know, which made, you know, a 10-year career in Europe. You know, I had an unbelievable experience. Um, like I said, it was it was an awesome journey, you know, going to France and and uh, learning a different language and, and living in, you know, a different culture and and you know, seeing beautiful places, meeting, you know, great people and, and also playing great basketball. So it was an unbelievable journey. What was the biggest adjustment you had to make playing overseas? The biggest adjustment was probably the language barrier. Um, but I was fortunate. Um, 
you know, some of my guys, my first year I remember was were like, man, you you know, you you're lucky. You know, your first year out of school or first year playing overseas and you're in Paris. <laughs> you know, so you know, Paris, there are a lot of English, you know, speaking people there. Uh you just have to make the first kind of uh gesture and, and to learn their language you know once you do that then they'll open up and they'll speak you know english and and uh you know try to help you out a lot but the, i would say that was the biggest adjustment uh the food you know i love the french food you know so <laughs> that wasn't a, an adjustment at all what's your favorite french dish i'm a, I'm a big pasta and, and chicken guy you know like pasta chicken rice salmon you know i I'm very basic and, you know, they have some unbelievable rice dishes with the salmon and, and pasta and things like that. So, but uh, I would say that the language barrier was probably the the, the biggest uh, adjustment. And after your playing career ended, you worked on the basketball staffs at Drexel, Brown, Hartford, and you're currently an assistant coach at Georgia. What made you want to get into coaching? I've always um, was into giving back. You know, I, w- I was always, even when I, my P- at my PC days, you know, I was working at the, um, for the uh providence you know uh what is it, the uh rec center or, or community center you know just near uh just near pc's campus you know and i used to work with the kids there and and um you know it's always been a passion of mine to uh to help kids you know get better at basketball you know just like you know when i was younger you know i always had coaches and 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 adults who gave their time and helped me become the person and the player that i've become you know so you know, it's always been a passion of mine to do the same thing and give back. You know, when I finished up and and um, I wasn't sure, I still had some more, I still felt like I could still play, but uh, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. You know, so in August of 2014, you know, I uh, went home and, and had a conversation with Fran Dunphy, you know, who was the, uh, he's the former head coach at Temple. And we sat down and, and we talked about the next steps. And, um, you know, he said, he said if he can ever do anything for me, he'd do it, you know. And um, so he he gave me a position on his staff as a uh, as a grad assistant manager. And uh, I was there for one year, a little over one year. Then I got the job at Drexel as an assistant in an assistant ops role. And then um, the next year after that, I was up up at Brown as a uh, unpaid assistant, you know, which was an unbelievable opportunity for me that Mike Martin gave me. And then uh, the next, the last two years, well. Yeah, the last few years I was at uh, Hartford up there with Johnny Gow. And uh, that was, you know, an unbelievable opportunity, too, to continue to grow and continue to learn from different coaches and and, and get out on the road a lot more and, and do different things with the team, and which ultimately landed me the role here at uh, at University of Georgia under Tom Crane, which, is, which has been uh, a whirlwind in the uh, six, seven months I've been here. So, you know, my journey is... is, is is continually evolving and and um, you know continue you know helping me progress in this in this business. And what are some of your favorite memories from your time at Providence? I mean, there are so many, man. I you know just honestly going to war every day with 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 my uh, my fellow teammates and you know some of my best friends still to this day to this day. Um, I mean, we had some great times together. I mean, and, and some not so great times. You know, but um, you know, just going to war with with Jamel Thomas and Corey Wright and you know Jamal Kamal. You know, I can just go down the line. You know, um, you know, it was it was an un- unbelievable experience for me, unbelievable experience for, for myself, uh, which you know kickstarted my career. And I would say probably the most memorable 
would be the Rutgers game when I, you know, I guess set the, uh, the, the, the steals record, you know, when I had 11 steals in a game, you know, but like I said, I mean, just, just going to battle every, uh, every game with those guys was, was special. And then not, to, not to mention the fan support that, that PC has, man, PC has some of the best fans on, on this planet, you know, and, um, I mean, they still follow me and still support me to this day, you know, so I'm very grateful and very honored to have been a flyer. You know, I love the Friars. I, you know, I still watch them and still support them to this day. And um, they'll always be a part of me. Welcome back to the Inside of Friartown podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeMars. And as always, I'm joined by the Athletic Director for Providence College, Mr. Bob Driscoll. Bob, we have the holiday break coming up. It's an interesting time of year for players and coaches. What strategies have you seen coaches implement that kept their teams focused on the game while also still succeeding in the classroom? Well, we're coming to the end of semester, and I think young men and women are tired like a lot of the coaches. So I think less is more. So I think backing off on uh, the time or the length of practice is really important. Also respecting the fact that they have to study for final exams and giving them the opportunity to do that because their minds will be disjointed, if you will. And I think the most successful coaches are the ones that understand the priorities and then get them continue to skate or to play to stay loose, but really allow them to focus on their academics. Because if they're worried about the academics, they're not going to bring their A game to practice. So just understanding the ebbs and flows is really important for successful competition. And does the scheduling aspect, scheduling the sports, obviously finals week has to come into play at some point when you're looking to build the basketball schedule, the hockey schedule during the year. Yeah, we have a rule here at Providence College that we can't um, have any competition during reading weekend or during finals because it will take away from their ability to prepare and also the general student population would come to the game. So that really shuts it down. Now, they do have practices. They're um, they're not at the same pace or and or at the same intensity because they, you know, you've got to have kids that are studying. So, yeah, we um, we take that into consideration. This is our December episode, so we have Christmas coming up shortly. What gifts do you want to give the coaches or the staff in Friartown for this year? Well, they probably want, you know, a new car or a new house or something shiny like that. But having been in this for a long, long time, the gift I really want them to have is time off with their family and, and children to really appreciate how fortunate they are to do what they do. But kind of a presence of mind to be thankful and have gratitude and spend time with the families. A lot of these coaches are gone a lot of the times they're recruiting. And that time, particularly with young children, is the most important. So my hope is that the gift of being present with their children and families is probably the best gift if I could give them that. Speaking of Christmas gifts, what's your favorite gift that you've ever received for Christmas? Well, I have I have two gifts. One one was brand new and one was old, but they both are my most meaningful gifts. The first one was a, uh, a red bicycle uh, with no training wheels when I would think I was seven years old that I was I found under the Christmas tree and I was able to ride it up and down Commonwealth Ave on Christmas Day because I think it was the start of global warming back in 19, it must have been 1959 and that was one of the coolest gifts. But the other one, this is close to home with you, your grandmother, who was the uh, the mother of my best friend in high school, Jay Sheehan, gave me a secondhand pair of used skates uh, when I was five and uh, taught me how to skate on on Warner's Pond. And they were all banged up and dull, and I probably fell down a lot. But I think about that often, that I got a scholarship to play college hockey and get an education because she actually gave me those secondhand pair of skates <laughs> that I learned how to skate on 
on Commonwealth Ave. So it's kind of ironic that you're sitting here today thinking about your grandmother, what a great, great woman and, and an athlete that she was. But that those those secondhand pair of skates changed my life. And what's the best gift you've ever given to someone for Christmas? Oh, that's a that's a good one. So um, all of my gifts, I think, are great. But judging by my children's reactions at times, I'm not sure. I'll never forget when the um, the headphones came out maybe 30 years ago. It was first on the market, and I bought my two daughters and son a set of headphones. And they opened them up, and my oldest daughter started to cry. And I thought, oh, isn't that great? She loved them, but she was crying because she, she hated them. I think she wanted like a fur coat or something. And my son just wanted the, wanted the basketball. So I've learned really early on not to pick out any gifts and just give them cash from now on. <laughs> you can never go wrong with cash cash goes a long way <laughs> and as we're heading into the new year do you have any resolutions for yourself personally and also for providence college athletics yeah i think for myself personally is just to be present in the fact that um, i get to do something that i really love and appreciate a lot of times you look at it as work and you know, you've got long days and so forth, but I've lived the dream and I want to be, as I get closer to the end of my career than the start, I want to be present even during the difficult times to appreciate what a gift it has been. And what resolutions do you have for Providence College Athletics? You know, I want us to be kind of the model program in college athletics. I know you can't win all your games. I know our fans want us to win all the games, but I want our student athletes to have a great experience that they feel valued and respected and they feel like they've uh, maximized their potential academically and athletically so that when we leave Providence College they're they're happy about their experience that's that's what I wish for them thank you for listening to the inside Friartown podcast please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app Bob and I would also like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and as always go, go Friars, Friars.